0: Hello and welcome to the Lakerside Side Chats. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. Joining me today to look back on the first sort of ninth or so of the season so far is senior writer of Lakers Nation, runs the Laker Nation podcast as well, Mr. Trevor Lane. Trevor, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing?
1: Doing well. Thanks so much for having me back on.
0: Always a blast when you come on. And you know, let's just dive into it. First eight games, the Lakers are a very pitiful six and two. Um, it's disgraceful if I'm honest. We should be eight and oh. I kid, of course. I, I, I kid. Um, I just want to get your your um your take on the first eight games or so. Um, how do you feel about the Lakers, where they are at this point of the season? Cause I don't know about you, Trev, but it really does seem to me like it is a um the Lakers are treated like preseason at the moment, and I don't particularly blame them for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you look at what the Lakers are having to deal with as far as the quick turnaround from winning an NBA championship to starting the new season. You've got 71 days. That's not a lot of time for these guys. That is completely out of rhythm for them. And then they only had four preseason games. So, of course, this is going to be a very preseason type vibe, especially given the schedule that they've got. The NBA. Uh, they did the Lakers a little bit of a favor here. They gave them a pretty light early schedule that gives them time to get their legs under them and, uh, and frankly, make some mistakes, learn uh, with all the new pieces coming in against some teams that aren't going to punish you for those mistakes. So you can kind of adapt on the fly and still win basketball games. And so that's what we've been seeing the Lakers do so far. It's not always the prettiest kind of basketball, but the fact that they're 6-2 and two at this point, eight games in, knowing that they're not going all out, knowing that they've missed a few guys here and there for various reasons, you got to be happy with the record at at this point.
0: Definitely. And like you said, the biggest takeaway for me is like, you know, KCP has missed, what, three games in a row now. Alex Caruso hasn't played at all since we went on this road trip. Obviously, he's back, hopefully, tonight, Um, barring any like last-minute setbacks or anything. Um, LeBron and AD have been questionable, but I think that's questionable just out of, you know, trying to control them as much as possible. Um, yeah, like, the biggest thing I've been impressed by is how seamless sort of... We, we've had a lot of new guys come in and get big roles. Like, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that later. But, like, the chemistry thing has just been like, you know, we, we banged on a drum the entire year. Not, not just us, the Lakers as a whole. Last year were banging on that chemistry drum. The chemistry seems just as good this year. Like, you know, they haven't missed a beat, and that's a testament, A, to the leadership from the players, and B, from the leadership from the organization down. It's just another cohesive unit all around.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that was a big question coming in because that was one of the major strengths of the Lakers last season. I mean, look, we saw the teams that didn't have the best chemistry, like our good buddies, the Clippers, um, they, they left the bubble. They got knocked out early because their team didn't like playing together. And so chemistry really, really mattered last season. And that was maybe the biggest strength of the Lakers, aside from, you know, having two of the top five players in the NBA. They, they really enjoyed playing basketball together. And that was a concern. When you're swapping out as many players as they did, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, on and on, you're losing these major pieces and you're bringing in new guys is that chemistry going to stay or are you going to have to reestablish that? That was certainly a question mark coming in, but right now, and it's still early, but right now, everything we're hearing is very, very positive. Everything that we've seen out there uh, on the floor has been very positive. It looks like the the culture the Lakers had built last season did not go out the door with the veteran players that, uh, that left in the off season. So, uh, so, so far, so good there.
0: Definitely. And, the the list of names, you know, you have Avery Bradley in there, Danny Green, all guys who are, you know, championship contributors. You know, you know, regardless of what, you know, Danny Green could have done more of. Um, you know, he was still definitely a very important piece to our defense. Um, Avery Bradley was fantastic pre COVID. Dwight, I wish. Though Dwight's the, I don't know about you, Trevor, but Dwight is the only one where I wish, I wish he would have waited just a little bit longer. Because I, I, I feel like it wasn't a case of the Lakers saying, we don't want you anymore. I think it was the Lakers saying, you know, just hang fire a little bit, just delete that tweet and then we'll revisit it, you know, in a day. But, you know, I wish we could have kept White, which is a take that I did not expect to make about 15 months ago or
1: so. Yeah, that really was one of, if not maybe my favorite storylines of the season was the redemption of Dwight Howard. So seeing him play so well for the Lakers and then as as disheartened as we were that he left I think that's that's telling. It, it was unfortunate that he that he did wind up leaving. Uh, I'm still in shock over it, but uh you know what? Hopefully he still finds success in Philadelphia and at, at the very least we got that one year where Lakers fans now no longer hold that grudge or have that animosity towards Dwight Howard and so that's that's certainly a good thing moving forward.
0: Well, it's not just not holding a grudge. I think he's turned from like resentment and hate to genuine love by most of the Laker fans, which like 2020 has been a weird year in all aspects. But like, if someone told me that 2020 would be the year that Dwight Howard becomes a beloved figure in Laker Nation, you know, (laughs) I would definitely not be believing him, you know, in 2013
1: 14. Yeah, absolutely. It was one of the most improbable things. To happen that suddenly Dwight Howard is a fan favorite in LA but it happened I mean 2020 had some weird stuff going on so it's it's one of the one of the positive things to come out of it
0: definitely and you know we we can move on to in my opinion two of the three best players in the NBA today um we're very lucky to have both of them you know before the offseason you know they did sign extensions. AD signing that five year with a player option did surprise me. I'm sure you were probably in the same boat, thinking it was probably going to be a two or two and one or some type of thing. But like, even when they're playing fifty percent, the talent level between like LeBron and AD and like the next two best guys on the court at times is just startling.
1: Yeah, it's amazing having both of those guys in purple and gold. They really are the difference makers, and we've seen it. We've seen it um, as recently as the game against the Grizzlies, where the Lakers, for the majority of the game, kind of toyed around with things. They tried out some different stuff. And then when it was time to suddenly win the game, LeBron James and Anthony Davis touched the ball on every, almost every single possession. They ran the pick and roll a bunch. And the Grizzlies had no answer because there is no answer for LeBron draining 20-foot turnaround jumpers. And um, it's it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And I sure hope that after what the Lakers went through to get to this point, that that long stretch of not making the playoffs of being kind of the laughing stock of the NBA. I hope Lakers fans are appreciating it now even more than ever, because this is uh, a real treat to get to watch these guys on a nightly basis.
0: Oh, definitely. And like whenever I watch him, it's just uh, like, Hey, LeBron looking like this at 36 is just unfair. Like (laughs) Let's just call a spade a spade. Like he still looks like by far the best player in the NBA. No, Kevin Durant's had some really good games since he's been back, which I'm happy for because, you know, KD is one of the most fun guys to watch in the whole of the NBA. I'm sure sure you'll agree with me on that one. Um, But like, LeBron is still just so, so good. And the one thing that I've been surprised at, Trevor, and I'll I'll throw this to you, we'll, we'll touch on AD next, but like, with LeBron, just how good he's been defensively, even though he's coasting, it's like, He's obviously like taking rests, and you know he's not touching the ball as much, you know. Which again, we'll get into later when we talk about guys who have impressed us outside of these two. But like LeBron, defensively, has been really engaged at times to the point where I'm like, this dude is like, in my opinion, what like a top six, top seven defender in the league the way he guards. And I wasn't expecting that at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, I wasn't either. He's been very locked in there, and I think it's the understanding that there's a trickle-down effect. And we saw this a little bit last season, too. Anthony Davis kind of got on LeBron early on in the season and got him to pick up his defense because the reality is that the rest of the team is going to take their cue from those two guys, and especially LeBron. Um, Anthony Davis, obviously, is an amazing, amazing defender. I think you can argue he was Defensive Player of the Year last year or should have been. But LeBron, you know, at 36 years old, if you're on the Lakers and you are in your mid-20s, and you see LeBron at 36 slide over and take a charge or go flying across the court to close out on a shooter, you have no right whatsoever to not put forth the exact same amount of effort, if not more. There's no slacking on this Lakers team when LeBron is putting in that kind of effort on the defensive end. Um, So that's something that I think matters for the team's defensive intensity. And LeBron understands that. So he makes sure that he's setting the right example and putting in the effort. We didn't always see that in his first year with the Lakers. We saw some poor defensive habits, but that turned around last season. And I think it's carried into this season as well.
0: And like you said, the accountability from not just AD, but I think the coaching staff and, you know, Coach Vogel. And, you know, I think we have downgraded in defensive personnel, but the fact that we're still, what, like further off in defensive rating overall in the NBA. Just goes to show that even though these guys are coasting, I think, a lot offensively, defensively, you know, while they've still got some kinks to work out, you know, we saw it at the end of the Portland game, for example, they're still really, really good on that side of the football, you know. While they might not be the, the shot blockers that they were last year, I think IQ wise, with the likes of like Mark, I think they probably might have even improved on that end. Like, you know, we'll probably we'll get onto the new signings later and how they're doing, but like, that's what's. <laughs> excuse me. That's what's impressed me the most. It's just the IQ of the whole team defensively has been, and I know it helps because you know Vogels, is his second year now, but the familiarity familiarity of all eleven rotation guys has been amazing to me.
1: Yeah, they've been um, they've been really good with the way that they've worked together so far. Um, there's still a long way to go, and you can see some areas mm-hmm. where they make a few mistakes here and there. And and we also have to mention that their schedule has been pretty easy. So far, they haven't played very many good teams. And those are the types of teams where if you have any flaws defensively, if you have any mistakes, they will punish you for it and they will make those mistakes a lot more apparent. So part of what we're seeing right now is they're playing teams that aren't very good um, or at least not considered to be contenders. And so that's allowing them to kind of hide some of uh, some defensive issues. But that's not to say they've been bad because they haven't, but they've been good. Um, I don't think they're quite as good defensively as last year's team right now. But looking at the way this team was put together i think that was kind of expected that they might take a slight step back defensively uh their their overall defensive iq may indeed go up but just in terms of their physical ability to defend i think may have dropped a little bit but their overall offensive versatility has gone up more than that so when you add it all up i think this team can be even better than last season which is, is scary for the nba
0: yeah, like, you know, we'll we'll, we'll touch on teams that, that we think, uh, you know, legitimate contenders alongside the Lakers later. But like you said, it's just scary. And then, like, going from, like, AD, and, you know, the biggest thing for me is, like, you look at other teams, we'll, we'll touch on, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but you do look at these other teams and it's, like, the drop-off between LeBron and AD and then the next best duo in the NBA, I think, like, what, the next duo is probably, the, what like, KD and Kyrie. But because of Kyrie, that drop off, I think, is huge. Like, which is ridiculous. Like, you know, it's different if they had like I don't know, like a James Harden to accompany KD. that I think the gap's very close. But like, I'm really like AD. You can you've seen the uptick in effort. In my opinion, the last couple of games with AD and the focus of him um, having back to back free steal, free block games, it helps. You know, with, with that seeing that um, AD is a monster man and. The shooting looks like it's legitimately improved as well, which is unbelievable. Because how do you stop this guy? You know, it's it's really like it's a conundrum for teams.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's that's just it. You don't, and that's what we were saying. The the shooting that we saw in the bubble, um, in Orlando, where the mid-range shot was just automatic. I mean, if that if that carries over, and so far it has, there is there's no stopping him when he really wants to go, and I think that he's been. Uh, reserved this season a little bit. He's been holding back a little. Same thing with LeBron James, which rightfully so, given you know how early it is in the season and, and all of that. They're trying to get their bodies ready for all of this. Um, but if that shooting touch stays, when Anthony Davis really wants to score the basketball, there is no there's no stopping him. That used to be the thing. That used to be how you defended him. Try to get him to settle for a twenty foot jumper. But now he's knocking those down with regularity. He's knocking in threes like crazy. Frank Vogel wants him shooting more threes. This guy is just an amazing, amazing talent. And, uh, I mean, he's got league MVP potential. I don't think he wins it because he's with LeBron James, but he's got that kind of potential, that kind of ability. um, And he's amazing to watch every single night.
0: Yeah. You know, like you said, shooting in excess of 40% from free, Uh, Over 50% from the mid-range, you know, his free-throw game is still just as good. There is really no way to stop the dude apart from hope he has an off night, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is an awesome feeling to have if you're a Lakers fan. Like, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's like, the only guy that can stop AD really is himself, you know, in in time. So, but I don't mind him doing that in the regular season. You know, he can have his off the games during, during these random meaningless games against Memphis away. Like, but then he's been awesome in those games. So, (laughs) like, it makes you like, really, like, as Laker fans, we've really seen some great, great players play for the Lakers. But like, I think AD is probably one of the most versatile we've ever seen. Like it's ridiculous what the guy can do at six eleven. It
1: really is. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. He is incredibly versatile. I mean, you can he can get switched out onto a two guard, and you're not worried. You're not thinking, "Oh my gosh, we need to send help from somewhere." No, he can handle it. He can slide his feet, stay in front, uh, affect the shot. He's tremendous. And what what this all adds up to, what this gives you, is is confidence. Um, you know, when the when the Lakers were Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Julius Randle, and you know, fingers crossed, hope that somebody is going to really get going on any given night. Maybe, maybe it's D'Angelo Russell or, or whoever. Uh, there was always this sense of dread, at least at least for me, where even if they were up, say they're up six points and there's you know seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, you're, you you kind of knew depending on their opponent, you kind of knew they're probably not going to pull this one out. They're they're going to find a way to lose this game, and now it's the opposite. You know, the other night, the Grizzlies got up by 11 or something at one point. Mm-hmm. I, at no point during the game did I feel like the Lakers were going to lose, and that's just, it's because you've got guys with the talent of LeBron and with Anthony Davis, and you know that when it's time for them to kick it in gear, they're going to and they're going to help lead you to victory. That's that's why superstars are so valuable in the NBA and the Lakers are certainly fortunate to have two of the very best.
0: Definitely. And, you know, also, you know, we have mentioned that they haven't been taking it as hard as they would, you know, like we like the playoff level, we saw them a few months back. Um, but that's been a you know, a huge part, in my opinion, to so just how good the supporting cast around them is. And I'll throw a name at you straight away. You know, there, there was there was talk, you know, Woj put out his article of Dennis Schroeder getting an extension. At this point, I think it's warranted. Um, I've watched enough of this guy the past two seasons, and now with this one with the Lakers, where I'm like, this guy is your third player with LeBron and AD. A, I think he's been... I think he's a lot better defensively than people thought he was. Um, he's really, really focused on that end, which I know it helps play with LeBron and AD. But offensively, he provides... A certain speed and that pull-up jump shot, man. It's just, whenever he takes that pull-up jump shot from the key, from the elbow or you know a little bit closer, I just think it's going in every time. It's you know it's automatic at this point, and I, I just want to get European on Schroeder because I think he's I think it's the best move of the off season giving up Danny Green and a first for a player of his quality.
1: Yeah, he he has certainly, so far, proven that trade to be a very, very good one for the Lakers, especially if they do extend him. And it feels like that's the way this is going to go. All we've heard is that the Lakers do want him long term. This was not a, hey, let's get this guy and see if it works out. And after this year, when he's in uh, a free agent, maybe we can figure something out. No, they got him because they wanted him. And they've actually been after him for a few years. And so that was was good to hear, that they landed a target they've been after for a while. LeBron James is a big, big fan of Dennis Schroder's, uh, Dennis the Menace, as he calls him. And uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the the big question there were two questions for Dennis Schroeder coming into the season. And number one was, is the shot for real? Is that something that's going to translate from last season with the Oklahoma City Thunder, where he put up career shooting numbers? The question was, was that more of a fluke, or was that real? Was that just who he is now as a shooter? And defensively, is he going to get picked on a ton because he's six foot one? And I mean, so far, he has answered both of those questions with, with flying colors. He's been, been great in both areas. I love the energy he brings on defense. Right now, his three-point shot has dropped down a little bit. It's down to 36%. but That's because he had, he's had a couple of rough shooting games here recently. But uh, 45% from the field, 16 points per game. And then you look at what he's doing on the defensive end, the energy that he's bringing there. He's been he's been very, very good and he's been a massive addition to the Lakers. And to your point, yeah, the question last year was constantly who's gonna be the third guy? Is it gonna be Kuzma tonight? Maybe it'll be Caruso. Oh, maybe maybe KCP will get going tonight. I think now the Lakers know. They have a consistent third guy and it's Dennis Schroeder.
0: And it I, and also it just stops that stupid debate of like, oh yeah, the Lakers have the best two players. No one's disputing that but who's got the best free through eight? And I'm still like, can we please just stop it? Like some of those debates were so asinine in my opinion, like who cares? But, you know, I I just want to throw it to you now. Um, Who who was a guy who's, you know, impressed you the most so far? Maybe it was Schroeder. I'm sure you've got some other names as well. Um, Is there anyone who in particular stuck out to you in regular season
1: play? Um. I mean, if we're just like preseason, obviously, Taylor Horton Tucker was, yeah, was incredible. He's he's shown his age a little bit more here in the, the mm-hmm. regular season where the mistakes have been a little bit more noticeable. And they should be because the play has picked up a little bit, uh, but I'm still very, very high on him moving forward. But I, I think Mark Gasol, for a guy who has been much maligned by by Lakers fans, because we're. We are invariably comparing him to Javale McGee and Dwight Howard, and they couldn't be more different in terms of centers, in terms of what they do. They, I mean, the exact opposites um, in terms of skill set. And so we see a drive to the basket and we see Marcus not block the shot or, or somebody score at the rim, and we instantly think, oh, Dwight would have blocked that, Javale would have blocked that. And we come to the conclusion that Marcus all is just not a good player, that they shouldn't have brought him in but it's everywhere else on the floor where he thrives. It's the floor spacing that he brings you on the offensive end. It's the passing. It's his positional defense. Um, it's his, it's, it's his uh, communication on the floor. It's all of these other things that add up. And when you dig into the advanced stats, you see just how good he really is. Uh, it's no fluke that he had the best defensive rating on the Toronto Raptors last season, despite being uh, in his mid-30s now. So he's been a guy that is growing on me and somebody that is, in some ways, for me, he's almost like this year's Danny Green or this year's Alex Caruso, in that what he does really well doesn't show up all the time on the standard box score. And so you have a lot of fans who think he's terrible, and then it's on people like you and me, Alan, to to go and explain why he's actually good, even though the box score doesn't look all that great. Well,
0: it's like the – I'm sure you remember with Lonzo. Like sometimes his best games were like where he scored like 7 points, mm-hmm. had 4 rebounds, or, like 6 assists, but he was the he was the guy who dominated the most on the court, you know. I'm sure you remember those mm-hmm. times and it's the same with Mark. Like I thought his defense on Valentinus in particular was ridiculous. Like he he had that guy what well, Valentinus shot like 22% from the field or something like super silly like that when Mark was guarding him. It was like honestly he he is I think still one of the like top five to ten front court defenders in the NBA like he's you can tell he's specifically been brought if we face a Nurkic or a Jokic or an Embiid or you know a really talented big man like that in the playoffs he'll be dealt he'll be the one dealing with them and you know it's I think it's fantastic to have. And like you said, the the spacing he brings is such a joy to watch because when you give LeBron and ADs like so much space and we can talk like LeBron playing off the ball more, he just seems to be so relaxed and so happy this year. Like he's got, and I think the Boogie injury, I don't know how you feel last year, I think hindered that because I feel like Boogie was probably going to be brought into to play a role very similar to this offensively. Um, before you know he tore his acl which is a shame um but mark like you said is i wish he would have played for the lakers a bit earlier to be honest with you but like you know he's 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 something else man
1: yeah like you said, that, it's the box i think i think the the boogie uh comparison is one that uh one that i made too earlier on when mark first came mm. in and i i said you know this is how the lakers were supposed to be right now that they've got Marcus all this Definitely. was the vision. The vision was not two rim-protecting centers who both basically do the same thing in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, who have very, very, very similar skill sets. That was not the way the Lakers were constructed last season. That's what they kind of stumbled into, and it worked out, and that's fine. But the vision was DeMarcus Cousins probably as the starter, spacing the floor, shooting the ball from deep, passing out of the high post, and then you turn to JaVale as as a backup and you use his skill set there. So you've got different options to go through. You don't have two guys that are kind of clones of each other. And so even though Dwight and JaVale have differences, but same basic idea for how they're going to play the game. And, and now the Lakers have that, you know, Montrezl Harrell and Marcus Sall are extremely different. And that gives Frank Vogel the ability to mix and match and go to different looks as, as he sees necessary. And that's um, something that's been a strength of his as a coach. We saw it a lot in the playoffs where he was really good making lineup decisions that might have been a little unconventional, but that worked out. You think about starting Marquise Morris, starting Alex Caruso in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And so I think we're finally seeing the Lakers, from the center position anyway, play a little bit closer to how Rob Palenka and the Lakers front office envisioned they would play when the team was first put together last offseason.
0: Definitely. And I just want to give, before we move on from this, I think Wesley Matthews and Markeith Morris making a combined, what is it, like something stupid like 6.1 million is like the the cheapest duo and the most, I think, underpaid duo in the NBA. Like, A, I love Markeith Morris, the intensity, the hustle, the three-point shooting – you know, that, that, that's a guy who I'd always have on my team. I don't know how you feel about Markeith, but I'm so, I'm such a big fan of him. And his brother as well, to be fair. But he played for the Celtics and now plays for the Clippers. So I can't give him too much credit. <laughs> that's right.
1: That's right. Um, you can give him too much credit, not wearing those colors. But yeah, those, those guys are great. <laughs> they're the kind of veterans that every team needs that's going to win. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the kind of guys that can come in. They're going to do their job. They know what that is. They know how to be professional. And um, they might not. They're not going to throw down hammer tomahawk dunks every single game. They're not going to score 25 points a night or anything like that, but they're going to do the little things that are going to help you win basketball games, and that's that's critical that you've got players who can do those things.
0: Definitely. And, you know, I think we see the difference in what salary also means to players, like yeah. – if Wes Matthews was earning 15, 16 million like Danny Green was, I think you'd see the expectations be a lot higher. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know how you feel about that. But also, I think he's legitimately, if he continues this play, obviously if he's shooting in excess of 40% as well. So that helps a lot. Um, but I think defensively, especially, you know, the first game aside, because I think they were too busy concentrating on their beautiful rings to <laughs> care about that game too much the first, you know, quarter and a half um I think Wesley's been really really good and I think it's a guy who definitely you know if if KCP wasn't ahead of him I think he'd be starting you know in this team which is again a testament to just how deep the Lakers are as well um yeah it's, it's great to have these guys you know it, it, I think it's part, part of being a championship team though you get these players who are obviously worth more money wanting to come there on a cut price deal
1: Yeah, absolutely. You get them at a discount because, well, because they want to win a championship. They want to be in that opportunity knowing that their, their time in the NBA is numbered. That's just the reality as you get older. I believe Marquis is 31. He still has some years left. Uh, Wesley Matthews is 34. But yeah, I mean, look, Wesley Matthews, he had to adjust to coming off the bench. He was a starter last year for the Milwaukee Bucks. And so not only are you switching teams, but your role has changed a bit instead of starting Mm -hmm. games, you're coming off the bench. And so that, that takes a little bit of time, and I think we've seen him grow more comfortable with the Lakers' defensive schemes. We've seen him fit in a bit more, whereas the first couple of games, he did a few things where you're like, ah, oh, that's not how the Lakers do that. That might be how the Bucs did did things, but the Lakers run a little bit different, and uh, and so that, that has been cleaned up. He's starting to hit the threes, and I'll tell you what's really exciting. I mean, not only is he making, but Danny Green makes five times more than Wesley Matthews, which is mind blowing, but... <laughs> But Danny Green, and I like Danny Green a lot, and I've seen him do some really good things for the 76ers, and he's got length that Wesley Matthews doesn't really have, but I like that Matthews has the ability to shoot the little sidestep three. Um, he can shoot mm-hmm. on the move a little bit better than Green can, and so that's just not to say one's better than than the other, but it's just a different weapon for the Lakers to have when you've got uh, a defender closing out. So there's there's some definite positives with, uh, with Wes Matthews, and I'm excited to see him continue to, to really fit in with the team because he's the kind of guy that's going to hit some big shots this season.
0: Oh, definitely. And the the thing that he also brings that Danny didn't is he can play off the bounce. Like he... I think people forget that Wesley Matthews was really, really good as like a secondary option in Portland, you know, before the Achilles injury and whatnot. Um, I think he... I think you know he's he's settled into a role beautifully. It's playing his free and D, but he's a guy who's capable of a lot more. I don't know, don't know how you see that, but like we've seen like glimpses of it. Like you know, you've seen him attack people off the bounce and then a little shovel pass here to you know Montrez diving. It's wild that we've got through like half an hour of a podcast and not not really touched on Montrez Harold. You know, because I think he's been really really good in his role as well. Um, but like you know it. it <laughs> It just astounds me how deep we are (laughs) to say all that trevor you know it's it's such a luxury to have
1: to have all these really really good nba players on your team well not only is it a a luxury but it's probably this season given the realities of this bizarre season with no fans in the stands and players getting tested all the time and all Mm -hmm. that it's Probably a necessity. I mean, we've already seen the Lakers' depth come in handy this season because they've been missing players, and it's not just injuries anymore. Now it's it's COVID protocol, and so the teams that mm-hmm. have that depth are going to be able to withstand losing some players, and that's we've already seen that come into play here. Uh, but yeah, you you look at the Lakers last season, and especially during the regular season, it felt like every game we were just begging and pleading for the bench unit to please just stay even. Just stay even with the other team. Don't let them go on a big run. And we're going to be fine because LeBron and Anthony Davis and with the starters would always have uh, an advantage, right? They would be uh, a plus in the plus minus, right? And so if the, if the bench unit stayed even and the starters were winning, then that's it games over Lakers, are going to win. Um, and that was the way that you could kind of, you could beat the Lakers is if you would run up the score on their bench unit. And now I feel like the Lakers bench is so much stronger and they didn't show it last game against the Grizzlies, but they're so much stronger now. They have so much more depth that it makes them in terms of their whole team be that much more dangerous. If the, if the bench is no longer giving up leads, the Lakers are going to be really, really difficult to stop. And so that's something that I'm going to be keeping a real close eye on is, is this bench unit and how good can they be? We've seen six games where they've been at the very least, solid if not good and then two games where they have not been good at all and so hopefully moving forward we can get even more consistency out of them and uh and that'll be a big factor this season
0: Mm, definitely and like just just to go off lakers a little bit because you know the nba is so wonderful i know you and i both follow most of the nba you know really really closely um there's been some really big surprise teams you know Shout out to the New York Knicks and our, our boy Julius Randle mm-hmm. for being absolutely phenomenal out of the gates. It, I, I can't lie, seeing Randle perform like this, um, it just it sort of gives us all validation for believing in him and knowing that, like, we always said that he had this in him, you know, I'm sure you were the same, mm-hmm. you know. You could see it. He, he was so physically dominant at times, it was ridiculous. And now he's added that three-point shot. His def- Defensively, I mean, Tom Thibodeau is a phenomenal coach he runs people into the ground like but he is a he is a phenomenal coach regardless of what you think of Tibbs um seeing him perform this way seeing the likes of Brandon Ingram in my opinion turn into like a top 15 top 20 NBA player is also beautiful um but like you know who are the teams that sort of stand out to you um from this the pack so far as being legitimate ch- challenges to the Lakers because I've been quite surprised. I only think there's only like one or two so far that like that I could see potentially, if everything goes right, being a, an NBA champion over the LA Lakers.
1: Yeah, I mean the obviously the Clippers are going to be up there as much as we hate to admit it, but the Clippers mm-hmm. are up there. They're a team that that could certainly pose a challenge. But there's a lot of these surprise teams, like you mentioned, the, the Knicks have been good, and hopefully that's something that that continues. We don't know; it's still early. Mm-hmm. But um, but in the West, it's I mean the Phoenix Suns they've been they've been tremendous you know they went 8-0 in the bubble and they still didn't make the playoffs but eight 8-0 in the bubble and so the question was okay can they carry that over into this next season and they decide that hey we're we're really on the rise here let's go let's do something big and they went and got Chris Paul and now they you know the the suns appear to be rising <laughs> phoenix rising i guess <laughs> phoenix oh, it's rising so the <laughs> <laughs> but um Funds aside, yeah, they have been they've been very good, and so it's um it's an interesting thing seeing the way the 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 table is shifting in the Western Conference. You've got three teams right now that are sitting on the outside looking in that we thought would be playoff teams, and again, there's still plenty of time for this to change. But right now, you've got the Mavericks, you've got the Nuggets, uh, and then you've got the Houston Rockets all sitting outside of the playoffs, while the Suns who are tied with the Lakers right now for the best record in, in the conference. Um you've got the Suns in, you've got the Pelicans in, and the Sacramento Kings in. And again, that can all change, but it's uh it just goes to show you how unpredictable the NBA can sometimes be.
0: Definitely. And you know just just a shout out to the Phoenix Suns. Um I think I think it's sustainable when it comes to Phoenix. I really do watching them. They bring energy and hustle every night which you know it can only amount to so much if you don't have the talent, but then when you have the likes of Chris Paul, who I think is worth the trade that they made for him, if nothing else, just because it provides that veteran leadership leadership, that you know these really really good young guys and like Devin Booker and I think DeAndre Ayton's taken another step up this year. He looks absolutely phenomenal. He really does. Then you have the likes of Mikhail Bridges who are breaking out, Cameron Johnson, and then you go into like their bench and you got like maybe not their bench like per se, but like the role players like uh, Crowder and Saric and players like that, and they're really deep as well. Like like you said in a COVID time where you know these these guys could could be vital, you know, in some cases, you know, if, you know, COVID tests come back positive or something like that, that they're really deep and, you know, I think they could withstand an injury or a COVID-related absence for a week or two here or there as well. You know, I think they've done a really good job with that roster and it's nice to see another team sort of break out. But, you know, I don't know how you feel about Houston, Trevor, but watching them... It just looks to me like James Harden's given up now. (laughs) Like I hate to say it, but especially last night against the Pacers, I I think the sooner that that situation gets resolved, I think the better it will be for both sides.
1: Yeah, I mean, Harden wants that done as quickly as possible. For the Rockets, they're saying there's no hurry because they want to get the best offer that they can, and that's what they should be saying with two years left on on Harden's contract. Um, But the Rockets, you know, look, James Harden is still a tremendous talent at some point i think they're going to trade him but they won't do that until they get a deal that they feel is is worth it for them they're going to want you know the big the big package they've got a number of different draft picks that they want coming in they want young talent they look at what drew holiday just got in a trade with the bucks they look at what the clippers gave up to get paul george what the lakers gave up to get anthony davis that's what they want they want a package on that level uh, it would be interesting to see if they get it or not and, and how that all comes together. But uh, when I think of the Houston Rockets, I think of the one that got away, the guy that I really wanted to be a Laker this offseason, Christian Wood. He has been amazing, amazing for the Houston Rockets. And I think he would have been a great fit with the Lakers. So I think Houston got a steal with him on, on his contract. But, uh, you know, for that franchise, it, as soon as they can get past the Harden thing, the better, mm-hmm. as soon as they can move forward but there's so much writing on it being the right deal. They can't be in a hurry just to get it over with because that can hurt them for years and years down the road. They've got to make sure that they do this thing right, even if it's uncomfortable a little bit in the short term.
0: Oh, well, just, just to like, sort of like turn the conversation on a bit of a 180 because I think I'm more surprised that a team like Denver, and I know that they really appreciate Jamal Murray and stuff, with a motivated James Harden and Jokic, I think that's a team that legitimately, with their role players, could challenge the Lakers. Like, I think that you know they'd be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, we, I think we forget that James Harden is a top five player, perennial MVP candidate, former MVP of the league. Um, if I was them, like, I, I know they, like I said, I know I prefaced it with a point that they love Jamal Murray. But like, I'd be looking to see if, if there's interest from the Rockets in that standpoint, because if they could get something for as close as like Murray and Picks for a James Harden type, I, unless you see Jamal Murray being like a top five player in the NBA, which I'm not sure what you think. I, I don't see him ever reaching that height. It's worth it to win a championship or, or be as close as you can to win a championship. I don't know how you feel, but that, that, that's been my takeaway the entire season.
1: Well, I do agree that it's worth it to win a championship. I I don't think they want to deal Jamal Murray because they understand that his age, you know, Harden is into his 30s now, and uh, he has two years left on his deal. They, they, they're not going to put Murray in the trade package, but they can still put together a pretty enticing package if they decide to throw in a Michael Porter Jr. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you can throw in Gary Harris, some other pieces, uh, some picks and things like that. There's tons of different things that they can throw into it. But the question for a lot of teams right now is, what do we have? Right. I mean, you look at the 76ers and the, the talk was all, should they trade Ben Simmons for James Harden? And that kind of stalled out. And now the 76ers are doing really well with Ben Simmons. They've got the best record in the Eastern Conference. And so teams, are, have, they've got to have a little bit of time to know what they've got before they go ahead and pull the trigger on something like this. And I think that's where we're at. I think what it's going to take is a team feeling like they are very, very close but not quite there Now the James Harden can be the piece that wins them a championship. And Denver is a, a great landing spot because of what everything that you mentioned there. Uh, but there's a few teams that could talk themselves into making this move. The question is going to be which team blinks first and is willing to give Houston, maybe not everything they're asking for, but most of what they're asking for enough to get the deal done. At some point, somebody during the season is going to say we are a James Harden away from making a real run and then we're going to see a deal become a lot more likely until we hit that point though um teams are going to try to withhold some of their best assets off the bargaining table until they figure out kind of exactly where they stand as the the dust settles in the nba
0: definitely and you know how wild would it be to be like let's say the knicks maintain this like level of competency and the like the fifth, sixth seed in the in the East, and then they pull a trigger on a move like this. You know, I think we could definitely see like a wild move like that happen. Like you said, if a team feels like they're close to like being any type of relevant, I could see that deal happening. Mm-hmm. But I think I think you mentioned I think the Sixers, not in the Harden trade, but I think the Sixers are, in my opinion, just looking at them and how good they've been. I think they're the best team in the East. I don't know how you feel. I think that's the team that. We're looking at the East. Brooklyn look phenomenal at times offensively. But I think their defense is a big issue. And then not having Dimwiddy, I think, will also hurt. I think he was really, really good to start the season. It was such a shame, you know, that he tore his ACL and I hope he gets better soon. But Philadelphia, I think, I don't know how you feel, but I think they're I think they feel like the cream of the East at the moment. I really do.
1: Yeah, I mean, Philadelphia, they are I think that talent-wise, they took a little bit of a step back, losing Al Horford mm-hmm. and losing uh, Josh Richardson. But then in terms of fit, they get Danny Green. They get um, they get these guys coming in, Seth Curry. And I think what they've done is even if they've taken a minor step back in terms of talent, the fit of the pieces is much better. And so Daryl Morey was, was smart to do that because now I think he's getting uh, – you're getting the best out of your players. You're getting the floor spacing that you needed. And they've been a very good team. They Talent-wise, they were one of the best teams in the East last season, but the pieces mm-hmm. didn't fit, so it didn't work out. And, and fit is very important in basketball. So uh, this season, uh, the, the pieces seem to fit together much better. And, yeah, I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And that's the thing. If the Sixers feel like, hey, we're good as is, we can go to the Eastern Conference Finals, we can go to the NBA Finals as constructed, well, there goes some of their incentive to go and trade yeah. their young quasi star, whatever you want to call Ben Simmons for James Harden. And so the stuff like that is going to be a big factor on the market moving forward. But yeah, I mean the Sixers have been been great and uh it's good to see after the things didn't really click last season. Well
0: I think Tobias Harris playing like Tobias Harris from Clippers sort of I think it's taken a bit of a while to really adjust to being in Philadelphia, which you know so it's, it's not like I think people forget, you know, when they see you know when the Lakers clicked immediately. You know not everyone clicks as quick. You know as quick uh, clicks as quickly as, as 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 the Lakers did last year. and um, so seeing Tobias Harris, you know, be that really really good player again, you know, is is awesome. Seth Curry has been ridiculous. I don't know if you've watched a lot of them, but he's really really good. Um, I think Doc Rivers is also a better coach. I don't think Doc Rivers is like some elite you know, top two, top three coach. But I think he's definitely an upgrade on Brett Brown. And we're seeing that. Um, and we're also seeing that, you know, if you give Doc Rivers a lot of talent, we've seen it always, though. Like, if you give Doc Rivers a lot of talent, they will be really good, especially in the regular season. We saw it with the Celtics. We saw it with the Clippers all those years. If we go back to the Magic days, you know, where he had a really, really good team. Um, they, they were always competitive. That was never It was never an issue with a Doc Rivers team. So... It it really is um a really interesting team and and is a definitely a team that I think the Lakers are probably like looking out for as this is a potential team that we could face in the NBA Finals.
1: Yeah, they they certainly could be there and they are um they're a tough team to deal with when they've got the outside shooters mm-hmm. going and Ben Simmons is so great defensively and then he's he's excellent in the uh, on the fast break. And of course Joel Embiid uh is it's tough to deal with. So this is, this is going to be a very strong team. And, uh, you know, I I think that now they are the team that we thought they were going to be last season.
0: And it makes like, this is why I love the NBA. There's so many narratives. It's, It's so great. Like every day, the situation changes and, you know, it, it really makes it, in my opinion, the best league to follow. I don't know how you feel, but it really does make it the best league to follow.
1: Yeah, it really is. And it's just, it's, it's all the it's all the drama that goes along with it, all the intrigue and the player movement and the trades, the transactions, all that kind of stuff. All of it that goes around the game itself, and then the games, of course, are, are so exciting as well. And mm-hmm. uh, the highlights they produce, and and everything, the intricacies of, of actually playing the game of basketball. It makes it just a a tremendous sport to follow on so many levels.
0: Definitely we'll end the conversation there trevor i just want to give you just want to say a huge huge thank you for coming on as as always it's been a pleasure to talk to you where can the people find your great work your great podcast etc cetera, etc
1: cetera? um yeah you can find most of my my work over on the lakers nation youtube channel i'm posting videos there every single day um so you can find that there to search lakers nation on youtube and then you can find my written work over at LakersNation.com. you can find me on social media well, on twitter uh, at Trevor underscore Lane I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Trevor Lane NBA. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Alan, for uh, for having me once again.
0: And we'll do this again later on in the season. Take stock, hopefully, get more into NBA chat. Hopefully, there'll be a bit more of a you know player movement and stuff. Like we might have a resolution set of hard and things so we can revisit this chat sooner, later on in the year.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds good. Let's definitely do that.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to leave my podcast a five-star review wherever you're listening. Trevor's also phenomenal job they do over there. Uh, we're still in a pandemic, guys, so please stay safe. Wash your hands, all that good stuff. Uh, to look after yourselves. Take care.